good to see you here this morning. I also want to express my thanks uh, to you all for your support of the apprentice program. Um, all the apprentices are in seminary because that's an important part of preparing for ministry, but uh, we would never be ready to be pastors if we were not part of this program because there's some very important things that we could only ever learn here in a local church. And so we're thankful for your support and the sacrifices that you guys make to support us um, throughout, throughout the program. Uh, I, when I tell some of my friends in seminary that I get to preach as part of the apprentice program, they're kind of surprised and a little bit jealous um, because a lot of churches wouldn't let young 23-year-olds behind the pulpit. And the reasons for that are not lost on me, and so I am really grateful for the opportunity, and I'm thankful to you all for the sacrifice that it is uh, to support me, and you guys have only ever been encouraging, and I'm thankful for that. And I think it's a sign of a healthy church, as John was saying. It's a sign that we believe that preaching is about the authority of God's word, that we want to see more young people commit their lives to ministry, and we want to make the sacrifices it takes to see this happen. And so I'm thankful for that, and I don't take it for granted, and I just want to say that before I preach this morning. But with that said, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help um, as we come to his word this morning. Father, we're thankful for this morning, where your mercies are new. And we're thankful for this time to gather together as your people, to sing to you and to pray to you and to hear from you. So speak to us now through your word, which lights our path, and send your spirit to form our hearts into ones that are eager to obey, that we might become even more like your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> More people became a Christian last year than any other year in history. And I think it's important for us to remember that. Because oftentimes here in America, it can feel like Christianity might be dying. But that's simply not the case globally. In places like Africa and Asia and South America, the rate of growth of Christianity is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it before. So I guess what I'm trying to say is 2018 is a thrilling time to be a Christian. The reason that the gospel is spreading throughout the world is that people are willing to sacrifice their lives. This is how it had spread throughout history, and this is why it's continuing to spread today. We all became Christians because somebody shared the gospel with us. For some of us, it was our parents who taught us the faith. For others, it was someone in college, or it was a co-worker, or one day you just decided to go to church and you ended up hearing the gospel. We are Christians because we have received this specific teaching, because we have believed in this particular story. This teaching, this story, is the gospel. The gospel rooted in history and recorded for us in scripture. We know what is gospel and what is not, because of scripture, the Bible teaches us the true story about God and man and sin and salvation. The Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ. The New Testament was written by apostles, by those who had encountered the risen Christ, those who knew him as he lived and walked among us, Matthew and Mark and John. And they wrote to teach us about him. They wrote to tell us the story of the gospel. John writes in the beginning of his first epistle, That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And now we hold in our hands what they wrote. We don't have the original autographs that were penned by John. But the accuracy of the New Testament that we hold today is more verifiable than most other ancient literature. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Over 5,000. To put this in perspective, there are 643 manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. Livy's History of Rome only has 20 manuscripts, but we have over 5,000 of the New Testament. The oldest piece of the New Testament we have is called P52. It's a fragment, and it's housed currently in a library in Manchester, England. There's a picture of it that I'll put up on the screen. These are some verses from John 18. This fragment, P52, is dated around 125 A.D. That's less than 40 years after John was written. Plato died in 348 B.C., and the first fragment we have of anything he wrote isn't until 500 years after his death. We have a full manuscript of the entire New Testament, from 325 A.D., less than 250 years after it was written. It's called Codex Vaticanus, and it's kept in a library in Rome. The first full manuscript we have of anything that Plato wrote is not until 895 A.D., more than 1,200 years after he died. All this is to say that when it comes to the validity of the New Testament in comparison with other ancient writings, it's hardly even close. We can be sure that the words we read today in Scripture are the words written by the apostles, inspired by God, inerrant in all that they claim to be true. They teach us the story of the gospel. And we have them today because people took care of them, because people recognized their importance and their authority, and they sought to guard them for generations to come. These scriptures have been passed down from generation to generation to teach us the story of the gospel, that we might have fellowship with them. Some Christians have not only sought to preserve the accuracy of the scripture, but also the history of the church. Here's a picture of Euronymous II. He is currently the Archbishop of the Ephesian Church. Kind of a jolly-looking fellow. He can trace the history of that church from generation to generation, all the way back to Timothy. Yes, Timothy as in the recipient of 2 Timothy. You can go online and trace who has been head of that church every single generation all the way back the church that the Apostle Paul planted and Timothy pastored. And you can do the same for the Philippian church or Thessalonian church or Corinthian church. Paul planted churches in these cities, and there are Christians today who can trace their gospel heritage all the way back to that. 
all the way back to the first generation. Now, you might be able to tell from Euronymous's clothes that he practices his Christianity a little bit differently than we practice ours. But my point here is to show that Christianity is inherently historical. It is passed down from generation to generation. The gospel, the story about the living Christ, who died and rose again in history, is taught to the next generation and then the next And this gospel is the story that Sam preached about last week, the story that we are all caught up in. This is the only story worth suffering for because it ends in a wedding between Christ our Savior and us his bride. So today we're going to look at the next two verses in 2 Timothy. Again, this is Paul's last letter sent to Timothy, his son in the faith. This is the apostle's last words to his pastoral apprentice. In a way, this is Paul passing the faith from one generation to the next. Paul takes care to ensure that Timothy is not left without instruction because Paul knows that his time remaining is short. So meet me in 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and today we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14. Second Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Amen. In this passage, Paul tells Timothy to do two things. Guard the good deposit and follow the pattern. Guard the good deposit. Follow the pattern. These are the two things that Paul tells Timothy to do. These are the two things that this passage tells us to do. This text calls us to be a church that faithfully passes the gospel to the next generation and then the next. It wants us to be a people that steward well the gospel message that we have received. We are story keepers. Follow the pattern. Guard the good deposit. You'll remember that Paul is writing to Timothy, his beloved child, and in verse 7, he tells him that God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And verse 8 begins with a therefore, as Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. This testimony, this gospel might seem shameful at first because, after all, it involves a Savior hanging dead on a cross. But verse 10 tells us that Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through this gospel. The gospel is not shameful. The gospel brings life. And in verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Timothy, you see these words? You know these words that you've heard from me? Use them as the example. Keep them as the standard. Follow the pattern that they set. The words of Paul are sound words. They are healthy words, whole words. The Greek word for sound here is where we get our English word hygiene. And we are told to follow the pattern of these sound words. In order to be those who faithfully pass on the gospel to another generation, we must follow the pattern of sound words. 
And this has proven to be more difficult than we wished. And it's hard for a few reasons. First, it's difficult because Scripture has a lot of words. It's a big book, after all. And we don't know it as well as we could. Paul says to follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. But a couple chapters later in 2 Timothy 3, he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This seems to imply that we would do well to follow the pattern of sound words that we've received from Paul and those that we have received from Moses or David or Isaiah or Peter. All scripture is profitable. It has a lot of sound words. To put it bluntly, it's impossible to, pa- it's impossible to follow the pattern if you don't know it. As Christians who hope to know the gospel and to pass it on, we must be soaked in Scripture. We have to know it. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Psalm 119 says that Scripture is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It says that God's testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. The psalmist says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Scripture is light and life and it causes us to rejoice. But sometimes we neglect it. We don't know it as well as we hope we did. Now, I believe that EBF is a church that values Scripture. We preach through books of the Bible, and we don't avoid the hard ones. We've recently preached through Revelation and Song of Songs. It does not get harder than that. And sometimes we preach through books slowly. Today's whole sermon is based off of two verses. We are dragging. We're a church committed to Scripture memory. So whether it's a recitation service or just those in the congregation who practice the discipline of Scripture memory, we as a church have learned the value of memorizing God's Word. We are a church that loves Scripture. You could say Bible is our middle name. Sam, if you get one dad joke, then I get one as well. But I'm going to say this because I think our passage today demands it. If we want to be faithful stewards of the gospel we have received, we need to know our Bible more. We need to know our Bible more. We do not intuitively know what is true and what is not because our minds are fallen. We do not immediately know what is right and what is wrong because our hearts are selfish. We do not with certainty know what is gospel and what is not because we can deceive ourselves. We need to know our Bible more. There are Christians throughout history and in other parts of the world today that would give anything to have their own copy of the Bible. We own six, and five and a half of them are collecting dust. We value scripture memory, but when we're honest, we realize that we have more plastic pop lyrics memorized than we do Bible verses. We need to know the Bible more. 
follow the pattern of sound words. We need to learn the pattern in order to follow it. And this part of the sermon is really hard for me to preach. Because I know just how cliche it is to have a young seminarian up here telling you to read your Bible more. And I know that it can be so hard to build and sustain that habit. Satan spends a lot of energy trying to keep us away from Scripture. Some of you already have this as part of your daily routine, and you can help the rest of us. There are plenty of reading plans and Bible studies that will get you in the Word. I use one called the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. It's great. If you're looking for one, I'd recommend it. But I don't want just to recommend a Bible reading plan. I want to call us to a specific and edifying application of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. So here it is. Ready? Here's how I think we can begin to obey what this text is calling us to. A chapter a day for the rest of your life. A chapter a day for the rest of your life. If you only heard one thing I said this morning, and it was this, I would have done my job. A chapter a day for the rest of your life. Doing this, you would get through the whole Bible in about three years. You could get through the New Testament in less than a year. Open your Bible every day and read a chapter. I believe if we did this, we would be a maturing and multiplying and God-glorifying church. God has promised that those who meditate on his word will be planted, that they will prosper, that they will have life. And as with any habit, this will be hard. So don't do it alone. Do it with someone. Do it with your spouse or a friend. Do it as an ethos community. And let that accountability support you in the way that it's supposed to. Not with guilt, but with encouragement and camaraderie. I know that there are days when it feels like reading scripture is doing nothing. I've had plenty of days this past year where it has felt dry and foreign and hard to believe. But there have also been days when it has given me life and hope and courage for the day. Times with the Lord that have been sweet and intimate and exactly what I needed to hear. And you don't get those days without the hard ones. Open your Bible every day and see how God shows up and makes it precious to you. A chapter a day for the rest of your life. Follow the pattern of sound words. The first reason this is hard is that there are a lot of words. But there's another reason that it's hard, and it's that we're following the pattern and not just the words themselves. There are things that Scripture does not explicitly address. Paul seems to be aware of this when he tells Timothy to follow the pattern. What do the Proverbs teach us about iPhones? What would Peter say about transhumanism and artificial intelligence? Are we supposed to take this job or leave that one? What do we do when our daughter is suffering from a mental illness? Scripture is not a how-to manual that tells us exactly what we should do in every situation. It is God's word revealed to us to make known to us all that is necessary for salvation and for lives of godliness. But godly living involves following the pattern. And our hearts can deceive us into thinking that we are following the pattern when we're not. We think we're following the pattern rightly, and in reality, we've gone way off track. 
Any short study of American church history will show you that. People used scripture to defend slavery and to abolish it. Follow the pattern of sound words. On my way here this morning, I passed Mountain of Fire and Miracles Ministries, and I passed the 16th Church of Christ Scientist. These are examples of those who have not followed the pattern of sound words. They have not received, obeyed, and passed on the gospel, the gospel taught by Scripture, and it breaks my heart, and it makes me angry. Because they deceive people into thinking that the gospel is about health and wealth, about healing apart from any modern medicine. And I know Jesus heals, and I know he wants to make us whole, but if your gospel has no room for suffering, then you are no longer following the pattern. We need to learn scripture with community and history as our guardrails, with community and history as our guardrails. Do Bible study with other people, not on your own. It's a really dangerous thing to study the Bible on your own. We're not the first Christians to study scripture. Find out what people have been saying about this passage or that one for the last 2,000 years. If we want to be a church that passes along the gospel, that keeps the story of scripture, then we need to know our Bibles well. We need to be Bible experts. And right now, you might object and say, well, doesn't this only apply to church leaders? After all, it's like Paul telling Timothy, Timothy's a pastor, right? Like, Timothy should be a Bible expert. He's a pastor. That's what we pay him to do. Fair point. Let's remember who has been mentioned in this letter so far, though. We have Paul, the author of the letter, Timothy, the recipient of the letter, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 5, we have Eunice and Lois, Timothy's mom and grandmother. The faith that was first in Lois was passed to Eunice and then to Timothy. The gospel was passed from generation to generation. Do not underestimate the time you spend with your kids or the prayers you say for your grandkids. This is how faith works. It's passed from generation to generation. Being keepers of the story is not just for pastors, it's for moms and grandmothers too. Follow the pattern of sound words. Let's be experts in what we're passing on. But there's more. Paul is not only concerned with the reality that we do know our Bible, he's concerned with the way that we follow the pattern. Not just that we know the pattern, but the way that we follow the pattern. Look at the second half of verse 13. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This passage calls us to follow the teaching of Scripture and to do it with faith and with love. And this is the wisdom of God in Scripture. He knows that as soon as he calls us to be experts in it, that he needs to remind us to do it with faith and love. If studying the Bible is more about learning facts than learning to love God and neighbor, then we're doing something wrong. We have lost the pattern. 
Jesus said in Matthew 22 that all of Scripture hangs on loving God and loving neighbor. The minute we're studying our Bibles without learning to love, we're already off track. And this part of the sermon is hard for me to preach, too. Because I've been studying theology formally for the last six years of my life, and there are times where my bookshelf has been more sanctified than my heart. I've studied the Bible without learning to love. And our hearts want to separate these things, to pretend that they're opposed to each other. So we can be Bible experts or we can be loving. We can study theology or we can just have faith. Scripture holds them together. It does not let us separate them. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In order to steward the gospel message we have received, we must follow the pattern in faith and love. Let's look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The Holy Spirit is the divine interpreter of sound doctrine. He will tell you if you are following the pattern. In John 14, Christ tells his disciples that the Spirit will come and he will teach you all things. The Spirit of truth who dwells within us will lead us in the way of truth. And he will sanctify us in faith and love. He will form our hearts into ones where Christ can dwell into ones where Christ can make his home. So the Holy Spirit will help us obey the first command of this passage to follow the pattern in faith and love, but it will also he will also help us obey the second command by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word for guard usually appears in military context. Guard the good deposit, look after it, defend it, set a watchtower over it. At the Art Institute of Chicago, they take good care of their paintings. They guard them. Security to get in, cameras everywhere, guards in every room. No bags allowed, check them at the door. The paintings are hung on the wall with an eye hook and metal plates and screws. There are sensors that will go off if you get too close. There are more sensors that will go off if you touch anything. You're not allowed to photograph some pieces. Rails and ropes mark where you can stand and where you cannot. The temperature and humidity levels are kept just right in every room so that the paintings don't get damaged. There is no way you could steal Monet's stacks of wheats or Van Gogh's self-portrait. When we have things of value, we lock them away in a safe. No one sees it, no one puts their hands on it, no one else can have it. That is how we guard the good deposit. We lock it away in a safe. But actually, that's not how we guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. The good deposit is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the story that we are caught up in. This story is what has been entrusted to us. And the way that we guard it is to make it as public as possible. The way that we guard it is to make it as public as possible. I have this thing of value. And here, you can see it. You can put your hands on it. You can have it. 
The story of Scripture is not kept if we lock it away in a safe. It's kept when we sow the seed on soil again and yet again. And sometimes it will be rocky soil, and sometimes the plant will be scorched by the sun, but sometimes the fruit will grow 30 and 60 and 100-fold. We guard the good deposit by making the gospel as public as possible. As Christians, we have inherited this story and we've been called to keep it. We believe that the gospel changes lives, and carrying it around with us as a deposit should change the way we live. If I told you to go walk around downtown Chicago today and just enjoy the, enjoy the weather, have a slow afternoon, you could do it. Not give much thought, wouldn't be hard to do, you could go enjoy the weather. If I gave you $50,000 cash, and told you to go walk around downtown Chicago today, you could do it, but you would be very, very aware of everything that's happening around you. The good deposit entrusted to us should make us very, very aware of everything that is happening around us. What does the gospel say to this situation? What good news does that person need to hear? We have been given a story and called to keep it. It is the story of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died in our place, rising again and offering us life with him forever. Once we believe this story, it becomes ours to keep, which is to say, it becomes ours to give away. We want to be a church that keeps the story. We want to be a church that passes the gospel from one generation to the next. It's a story that we have inherited from generations past, and it's a story that will extend into generations to come. 100 years from now, all new people, none of us will be here. But the story remains the same. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace to us, for the story that you wrote even as you choose to include us in it. We confess that at times we have locked this story away, not stewarding it, but being selfish with it. And so we ask that you would forgive us and help us to be people who are generous with the good news of your Son, who gives us life, who paid for our sins, who is living now, interceding for us. He is our hope. We pray this in his name. Amen.